Hello and welcome to the Curious Clubhouse podcast. I am your host, Jason, and if you're just joining us, this is a weekly podcast where I take you on an informative journey into a specific subject or topic that has helped shape and influence today's pop culture. It is October, it is Halloween season, and last week we talked about The Shining. This week we are diving into all things Resident Evil. This is episode three, and I'll tell you a little bit about what Resident and Evil is. We'll talk about the origins and some of the ideas behind this iconic franchise. We'll also touch on some differences and similarities between the movies and their video game counterparts, as well as go over some other Resident Evil related properties, other things that exist within the universe. And finally, we'll talk about some cool and unusual facts about Resident Evil. So without further ado, let's dive in here and let's get curious. So what is Resident Evil? Resident Evil is a video game franchise primarily advertised as a survival horror video game series. Along with the games, the series has spawned other media made to promote or relate to a specific major release or other forms of media such as spin-offs. The primary story involves a series of accidental viral outbreaks caused by the Umbrella Corporation, creating bioorganic weapons or bioweapons for short, which prompts a handful of various people to venture into different places to fight against various mutated creatures including but not limited to zombies, zombie dogs, and giant mutated monsters among other things. Rather than having an overarching plot, the stories within the games are mostly self-contained and can be enjoyed on their own without playing previous entries in the franchise. The games do however share some narrative and thematic elements which are hinted at or alluded to in other games in the franchise. The gameplay of Resident Evil Biohazard as it's known in Japan, usually involves putting the player's character in a kill or be killed scenario while incorporating firearm combat, navigation, finding keys, and solving puzzles to advance through each area. The games also focus heavily on inventory management, keeping track of your ammunition and healing items and being smart about their uses are key to surviving in any Resident Evil game. Now that's just a brief overview of what Resident Evil is. Obviously, it is so much more than that. It encompasses a total of eight games as of now in the main canonical franchise, as well as several spin-off games to date. Now, along with what Resident Evil is, I'd like to tell you a little bit about the origins behind this iconic franchise, some ideas of where this originated from and where this franchise came from, specifically how the first and second games were created and how they came to be, and ultimately, how they spawned all of the games that we now have today. So how did Resident Evil come to be? The franchise was created by Capcom in 1994 as a project for the PlayStation mandated to be a horror game similar to earlier titles developed at the time. While the title Biohazard was chosen it was chosen in Japan, it was pointed out that it wasn't possible to trademark the same title in the United States due to another game as well as another band already using the name. Due to this, it was decided that a contest was to be held within the company leading to the title of Resident Evil that we know of today. The first Resident Evil game was released in March 1996 to high praise and critical acclaim and became a PlayStation bestseller. Work on a sequel, Resident Evil 2, began soon after the first game's release. Before Resident Evil 2's release, Capcom chose to expand the franchise with other media, which we'll touch on a bit later. 
In July 1997, the first Resident Evil was ported to the Sega Saturn. Later that year, a new version of the game, titled Resident Evil Director's Cut, which included additional content, as well as the first audio drama titled The Tragedy of Makoba Village, which was apparently a prequel to the game. And this I did not know initially, having done my research. Uh, I love audio dramas, I love audio books, I love podcasts, as evidenced by the fact that I'm making my own podcast. Um, and I'm, so I've never heard of the Makoba Village audio drama. I'd love to check that out. Um, if anybody has any information as to where I can get a hold of that, uh, definitely email us at thecuriousclubhouse at gmail.com uh, because I would definitely like to give that a listen. Meanwhile, Resident Evil 2 was facing some troubling development and due to this, it was scrapped and rebooted. The scrapped phase became known as Biohazard 1.5 by fans, and eventually by Capcom as well. While the gameplay was mostly the same, it directly continued the story as well as expanding the universe of the first game. At the time, this was not common in the video game industry. The plot follows Claire Redfield, sister of Chris Redfield, and Leon Scott Kennedy, better known to fans as Leon S. Kennedy, a police officer surviving a new outbreak in Raccoon City, which is only a short ways away from the Spencer Mansion from the first game located in the R. Clay Mountains. Resident Evil 2 was released in January 1998, and like its predecessor, it received high praise by fans and was an even bigger success overall. Its initial release remains the series' best-selling game on a single platform. And this is really, really cool, especially giving, given all of the games that we now have in the main franchise, uh, for the second game to still remain the top dog out of all the games is very, very impressive in my opinion. And that's just kind of a brief uh, origin story behind those first couple of games and ultimately how it kind of leads us to all of these other amazing games that we now have in the franchise as well. Uh, so now I want to turn our attention to the movies. Uh, specifically how they differ from their video game counterparts. And as most game-to-movie adaptations go, the movie iterations tend to be pretty different from their video game counterparts, and the Resident Evil franchise is no exception to this rule. Some of the most notable differences that stand out are as follows. First and foremost, the most notable difference, in my opinion, is Alice. Paul W.S. Anderson's chose not to use the characters and stories from the games, and instead opted to make something entirely new and unique. Alice, who wasn't based on anyone in the game, was the sum of the created decisions he would make going forward into the series. Alice is an action hero in her own right, to say the least. She is vastly overpowered to the point that she wins every fight in the movies and dominates the franchise overall. Uh, this is so true. She definitely does dominate the entire series, uh, as it stands as a whole, and in my opinion, she is vastly overpowered. And yes, while that is done in part to her being infected with the T-Virus and it bonding with her on a cellular level, I do think she would have benefited from being toned down just a smidge uh, to give some of those other characters a little bit of the limelight as well. Uh, alas, that is not what happened, unfortunately. Uh, so another difference that we have here, the main characters from the games are significantly weaker. And again, this kind of stems from Alice being the sole focus and being so overpowered. 
but in the games, there is no singular protagonist. Instead, the spotlight is shared equally among the game's many characters, characters like Chris Redfield or Jill Valentine, among others. Having a diverse cast of characters allows each game to focus on a certain protagonist and show the zombie apocalypse from a different angle. In the movies, everyone from Leon Kennedy to Claire Redfield takes the back seat to Alice. Adding to this, the their movie counterparts are toned down and considerably weaker than their in-game selves. And I think they could have expanded on those in-game characters in the movies a little bit more, giving them a little bit more strength as they show in the games. Again, if they hadn't focused solely on Alice, in my opinion, if they can make Alice super overpowered, then they can beef up some of those uh, video game character counterparts as they appear in the later movies of the franchise. But again, unfortunately, that's not what happened. Uh, so another difference here, Nemesis has a backstory in the movies. Nemesis is the hulking infamous bioweapon in an overcoat who hunts down the remaining stars, which stands for Special Tactics and Rescue Squad, members on Umbrella's orders. In the video games, this monster isn't much more than a predator to hunt down the game's heroes. However, in the movies, the Nemesis is more human than its initial appearance lets on. The film version of Nemesis appears in the second movie, Resident Evil Apocalypse, and is actually a character from the first movie, Matt Addison. Matt is infected by a liquor and then used by Umbrella as a super weapon. And I loved that they went that direction with the first movie. See, uh, my first, very first exposure to the Resident Evil franchise was actually the first movie in and of itself. Prior to seeing that movie, I had not played any of the games, and it is actually seeing that movie that got me into the games in the first place. But in that movie, yes, Matt Addison does get infected by a liquor, and then Umbrella proceeds to use him and ultimately turn him into Nemesis. And I love that because it gives, having Nemesis have a backstory gives more depth in volume to the monster and character that is Nemesis, so much so that in that movie, you can still see some of the humanity uh, that resides within him, uh, which ultimately helps Alice in the long run towards the end of that movie. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, uh, but there it is. Uh, and another difference here, and a pretty cool one, Albert Wesker has a different backstory as well. The film version of Wesker looks and acts exactly the same as he does in the games, however a lot of his backstory was left out of the films. The movies skip his tutelage under Umbrella and his role as a Stars member. In the video games, Wesker is very loyal to Umbrella, even becoming one of the chairman of the company. He is still, of course, obsessed with world domination. Wesker's arch enemy in the games is Chris Redfield harboring an intense hatred for him. In the movies, this hatred is focused on Alice instead. And again, Alice, because she is the main focus of the franchise, it stands to reason that yes, they would flip his animosity from Chris Redfield over to Alice. Uh, which, it works. You know, I liked it. Uh, it works very well for the movies. But again, it it puts Chris Redfield in the back seat. Uh, there's a really cool fight sequence in one of the later Resident Evil movies. I don't remember exactly which one it is off the top of my head that has a really cool fight sequence between Wesker, Alice, and Chris Redfield. But again, Chris Redfield is overshadowed by Alice in that scene. Uh, and finally, the last difference here, the movies prioritize action over horror. 
the Resident Evil games were first and foremost survival horror games. The earlier entries in the series especially leaned on the horror aspect as opposed to the later entries such as Resident Evil Village, which is the eighth game in the series, which emphasized survival tactics and an overbearing atmosphere. The Resident Evil movies, at least as far as the Paul W.S. Anderson series is concerned, are first or fast-paced action films with zombies. There is very little horror designed to actually scare audiences, opting to focus on Alice's cool fight sequences more than anything else. And again, you know, I, I did not agree with this. Uh, I, I agree with it in the sense that, yes, the movies do prioritize action over horror, but I do not agree with Anderson's decision to do that. You know, Resident Evil, at its core, is a survival horror video game, a survival horror series. It's meant to focus on that horror aspect and to give those thrills and chills and those jump scares, which unfortunately these movies do not do. And yes, I know that it may seem like I'm kind of beating up the Paul Double Paul Anderson franchise of movies, but I'm really not. Uh, as action movies go and as zombie movies go, they are really, really good and they're really, really well done, uh, as evidenced by the fact that we got six movies in that series. So, you know, definitely, definitely check them out if you haven't seen them because they are really, really good and they do work well uh, as an alternate version of the Resident Evil universe, as I like to think of it. So, those are just a few differences between the movies and their video game counterparts parts obviously some differences are more major and more impactful than others uh, but again in my opinion it does work on some level so now that we've discussed some of those differences uh, let's talk a little bit about now some other properties that exist within the resident evil universe uh, the first property i want to go over first and foremost is merchandise of course with any pop culture icon whether it's comic books whether it's movies tv shows uh you know whether it's superheroes whatever the case may be chances are there's some merchandise that's around it and resident evil is of course no different over the years various toy companies have acquired the Resident Evil license, with each producing their own line of unique action figures or toys. Tokyo Marui also produced replicas of guns used in the Resident Evil series in the form of gas blowback airsoft guns. Some models included the Stars Beretta, featured in Resident Evil 3, and the Desert Eagle in a limited edition that came with other memorabilia in a wooden case, along with the Gold Lugers from Resident Evil Code Veronica, as well as the Samurai Edge pistol from the Resident Evil remake. Other merchandise also include an energy drink called the T-Virus Antidote. Now, of course, you know, when I think of gun replicas uh, as it stands based off a series of movies or games, my mind automatically goes to, like, the touring Nerf guns. The last place it goes is to actual airsoft guns, uh, which I think is really cool, don't get me wrong. I love the fact that there's replica guns from Resident Evil as airsoft guns. I myself owned an airsoft gun when I was younger. Uh, my brother did as well, and we had airsoft battles. Uh, very fun, but could also be very painful. Uh, they used plastic BBs, or at least ours did, and they were very painful. So if you've never shot an airsoft gun, you're planning to shoot an airsoft gun, please be careful, use protective covering, because it can be painful. Uh, moving on, another property, and this is one of the cooler ones in my opinion, a Resident Evil themed restaurant called Biohazard Cafe and Grill Stars opened in Tokyo in 2012. I really think this is awesome. I've actually looked at some pictures of this restaurant on the internet. It is very, very cool inside. They have some 
different statues of some of the characters that are prominent throughout the games, uh, as well as some other memorabilia from the games themselves. I have never been to Tokyo. I hope to go someday because it would be really cool to actually go and experience this restaurant for myself. Uh, Halloween Horror Nights, as I'm sure most people are familiar with, in 2013, held at Universal Orlando, featured a haunted house titled Resident Evil Escape from Raccoon City, based on Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. And obviously, if you think about it, why wouldn't there be a haunted house based around Resident Evil? It is the perfect atmosphere, after all. Tons of monsters, tons of zombies, tons of action, tons of blood. It speaks Halloween. It speaks haunted house. So that's really, really cool. I hope to experience something along those lines or something similar sometime in the future. You know, I hope they bring something like that back for sure. In uh, another property here, arguably, obviously, it's one that most people, are, if not everyone, is familiar with. Of course, I'm talking about comic books. Again, if it's anything to do with pop culture, it probably has a comic book based off of it. Uh, some examples of this are Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Ash. You know, they have comic books that are based around them. You know, they are a huge part of today's pop culture. So it stands to reason that Resident Evil would follow suit with that as well. And in 1997, Marvel Comics did just that. They published a single-issue prologue comic based on the original Resident Evil, released through a promotional giveaway alongside the original PlayStation game. In 1998, Wildstorm began producing a monthly comic book series based on the first two games, titled Resident Evil, the official comic magazine which lasted five issues. Each issue was a compiled of short stories that were both adaptations of events from the games and related side stories. Wildstorm also published a four-issue miniseries titled Resident Evil Fire and Ice, which depicted the ordeal of Charlie Team, a third stars team created specifically for the comic. And I, again, really thought this was cool. I've actually looked at some of the covers on the line for some of these comics, and they look really really cool the artwork has done very very has, has been very well done on these comics i myself have not read them uh you know which i'm surprised by because i myself collect comics i have upwards of 2,000 comics but i haven't ran into the resident evil ones yet uh, but i've got my fingers crossed and i'm hoping to read them eventually in 2009 wildstorm began publishing a comic book prequel to resident evil 5 titled resident evil which centers around two original members of the bsaa named mina gear and holiday sugarman so those are some of the comics that have been based off the Resident Evil franchise. Uh, another property here, and this is probably just really, really awesome. I absolutely love this, and that is Resident Evil Plays, if you can believe it. In the summer of 2000, Bioroid Year Zero was performed in Japan. It was a musical horror comedy, but took the perspective of the infected. Super eccentric theater put on the production from early July to late August. Now, in my opinion, to have a play based around the Resident Evil universe is in itself really awesome. Awesome, but making it even cooler by having it shot from the perspective of the infected is just the cherry on top of the cake for me. Uh, you know, when I think about a Resident Evil play, the immediately what comes to mind is the Michael Jackson's Thriller video uh, with the zombies dancing and choreographed synchronicity in that video. And so I think it would be really awesome to witness a Resident Evil play. It's too bad that this particular play uh, is no longer in production. 
Uh, but Biohazard the stage play was released in Japan in 2015. The play focused on iconic characters Chris Redfield and Rebecca Chambers. A philosophy university in Australia is experiencing a bioterrorist attack. The following year, musical Biohazard Voice of Gaia was released in September. Biohazard the Experience was the second Resident Evil play produced by Avex Live Creative and Ace Crew Entertainment. The story is set in 2015 and follows a cast of 13 survivors who were abducted and woke up in a mansion during an outbreak. So that's just a, a few of the properties that surround the Resident Evil universe. Obviously, there are so many other properties, so much other merchandise out there that have to do with Resident Evil. Um, but I just listed a few of the ones that I thought were most interesting. Uh, so now that we've gone over some of those properties, I'd like to round out the episode by talking a little bit here about some cool and interesting facts that I found surrounding the Resident Evil franchise. And fact number one is there was nearly a Resident Evil Game Boy game. The original Resident Evil was going to be ported to the Game Boy. In fact, the handheld version was 90% complete before Capcom scrapped it, stating that they were not confident that the product would have made both Capcom and consumers happy. Now, now, of course, I would have loved to have a port of the original Resident Evil game for Game Boy. I think it would have worked really well, in my opinion. I loved playing Game Boy growing up. I had a Game Boy Color, uh, but unfortunately, it was not to be. Of course, now we have the Nintendo Switch, and we have some Nintendo and handheld Resident Evil games ported. So, another interesting fact here, other playable characters were planned. The first game's protagonists, Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine, were going to be joined by two alternative character choices a hulking radio operative called Geltzer, and an African-American medic called Dewey, who was apparently modeled after Eddie Murphy. Now, Eddie Murphy, if you don't know who he is, he is an American comedic actor. He played in such films as Dr. Doolittle, the Nutty Professor films, as well as Disney's uh, The Haunted Mansion movie, among others. Fantastic actor. I think it would have been really cool if we had got a character in the Resident Evil universe that looked a little bit like Eddie Murphy, but alas, it was not to be. Uh, the third fact I have here, Resident Evil 1.5 was a thing. Resident Evil 2 was almost a very different game than the version we know of today. A whole different version was made and nearly released, but the people at Capcom were dissatisfied with the game and started over. Although they did keep key plot elements like the zombie outbreak, concept and Leon S. Kennedy, so what was different about the game? Instead of Claire Redfield, there was instead a playable female character called Elza Walker, a motorbike racing college student. Enemies from the scrapped game included zombie gorillas, man spiders, and a bizarre boss monster with the face of Albert Wesker on its tail. Now, me personally, having found out this information, I'm glad that they did scrap it. I'm glad that we got the game that we got. I cannot see uh, zombie gorillas in Resident Evil. In my opinion, gorillas themselves, the way they are, are downright terrifying. And to turn them into zombies, I think probably would have looked really cheesy and obviously just wouldn't have worked, which probably explains why we don't have them. Also, man spiders. I couldn't find a description for what this man spider was supposed to be or look like in the game. However, I kind of visualize it as just being a giant spider with a man's head attached. Obviously, it would have looked really ridiculous, so it's good that they cut it. And then, of course, the bizarre monster with the face of Albert Wesker just sounds really ridiculous and dumb, in my opinion. So I'm glad that they scrapped all of this, because it, it did not sound like it worked well at all. 
Uh, a, another interesting fact here, uh, George A. Romero, of all people, was fired from the Resident Evil movie. George A. Romero had close ties with Capcom and Resident Evil after he was chosen to direct an ad campaign for Biohazard 2 in Japan. When Capcom decided to turn the games into a film, they hired Romero as director and screenplay writer, but Romero's script was based on the story of the original Resident Evil and included characters like Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine was disliked by the producers at Capcom. The legendary director was promptly fired and Paul W.S. Anderson took his place with a screenplay that was further removed from the storyline of the games. Uh, and again, if you don't know who George A. Romero is, he is a fantastic director. He basically created the modern zombie that we know of today. He has made several, several movies, uh, some of which include Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Land of the Dead, all zombie movies, and all excellent in their own right. And the final fact that I have listed here, and arguably the coolest fact of them all in my opinion, The Shining was a big influence. The mansion in Resident Evil was influenced by Stephen King's similarly haunted setting from The Shining, The Overlook Hotel. Another wink to the horror classic can be found in Resident Evil 2 with the word Red Rum scrawled on one of the walls. Uh, I think it's amazing that The Shining played a part in the creation of Resident Evil, uh, helped influence the world of Resident Evil as we know it today and of course if you don't know what the shining is definitely check out last week's episode where we discussed all things surrounding the shining it is an amazing gothic horror novel by the horror author himself stephen king so if you haven't read that uh not sure what it is definitely check that out and that is it, guys. That is episode three of the Curious Clubhouse. Um, that is the Resident Evil episode. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I hope that it was very informative. And I also hope that it maybe inspired you to try out the games if you haven't tried them out. Uh, and of course, please rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It is super important as it pushes us up the charts. It helps us get noticed and it helps us keep this podcast going and helps us make it better for everybody. Uh, if you have any questions about the episode, you have topics suggestions for episodes that we should do in the future you can send those to our email at the curious clubhouse at gmail.com uh, you can also check out our facebook page as well there's some really cool pop culture related articles on there uh, so once again guys thank you so much for listening i uh, look forward to next week uh, we keep this halloween train rolling and we're going to talk about the saw franchise uh, so look forward to that uh, thank you again and as always stay curious